No, I was thinking of you, Dave. I, uh, I was going through that crystal cave and yeah, I lost a good, I think 12,000 souls. Cause, uh, I couldn't find a, a good quality ship bucket to help me out. So, <laughs> but yeah, I totally almost had the epic gamer meltdown moment just from like, cause I kept getting to the boss and just getting my ass handed to me. I haven't been able to play, um, but that's what the respects are for. Yeah. I mean, you fought Ronaldo by now. Um, I don't know, man. I, I haven't played much actually, to be honest with you. Oh. That's bullshit because whenever Jack and I we see our group brand activate, we're like, we know Matt's fucking playing that piece of shit. It's like <laughs> so and so from your group defeated a shard bearer and we're running around a fucking cave taking add-ons. So it's like <laughs> I know exactly who the fuck that is. <laughs> <laughs> Hello guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome to Couch Co-op, a video game podcast. My name's Matt, and I'm joined with Dave and Jack, and today we're going to essentially have a book club, only for us video game nerds. Uh, today we are discussing games of a generation. Jack, this has been a topic you've been clamoring to discuss. Uh, we essentially are putting the PlayStation 4 to rest, moving to the PS5 era, as you so graciously pointed out to me when I was complaining about uh, my Elden Ring experience freezing up on me a few times. And rather than getting any support or, you know, moment, even uh, just that sucks, bro, I get puny PS4. So if there's ever a sign that we've reached the end of a generation, it's when your friends start shitting on you for owning the old console, I would say. So... My daughter used the word peasant to describe something uh, modest the other day. And I was like, you shouldn't use the word peasant, Kennedy. It could be misinterpreted as offensive. And then, so later that night, you texted me. <laughs> so, I, so it wasn't puny PS4. It was peasant PS4. That's somehow better. Thank you for clarifying, Jack. Um, but no, uh, I, that brings us a great segue. We always start off our first show with what we've been playing for the past couple of weeks. And I think it's fair to say we've all been touching on Elden Ring. I know for certain that's all I've been playing the few chances I get. Uh, so what about you, Dave? What have you been playing currently? Uh, Elden Ring. Uh, the few chances I can get. Honestly, it's a game that uh, it's really hard for me to... It, it's hard for me to, to fully enjoy when I'm, like, extremely tired. Um I know it's kind of weird to say, but I think whenever you do go adventuring, it kind of demands like a long time frame for you to actually feel like you fulfilled anything within the game. And that can take like 90 minutes, whether it be uh, you going from, you know, a cave that just keeps getting deeper and deeper until you come across a boss that takes you a few times to get the hang of, you know, or uh, you're going through a castle with a bunch of freaky stuff jumping at you. So but it's been a fantastic game. Um, I'm still like in love with the world, even though I'm kind of slowly progressing through it because I've been uh, taking my time to over-level my character by farming uh, the greater bosses. So my latest victim was Renala, and uh, I, I got up to about 360 runes before, or no, 360,000 runes 
uh, before Jack and I decided to group up. So I had to go level it up because I'm not taking a chance of losing that many runes <laughs> because my ego is bigger than my ability. So uh, I cashed them all in and then we had a great time in the uh, river well and we took on the area boss around there. And yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, Elden Ring. Uh, most I've played of any game in the last year and a half. I mean, I think the last time I put this much time into a game in such a small period of time was uh, Slay the Spire. And I was uh, unemployed when that occurred. So uh, if that gives you any indication of how I feel about this game, uh, I still just constantly finding new cool stuff. Um, jumped into three new completely uh, unique areas that um like uh this this area uh, i think it's called like the the deep roots and uh another area under underground and everywhere everywhere i go is just really freaking cool um and then um i've been getting worked by this boss called uh mog the old blood i think it is and i'm i'm level 110 at this point and so I've just been pretty much crushing everything in my path, which is not the from software experience I've had in, in previous games. But this guy has totally stumped me. And I really like it. Um, rather than read up on him, rather than respec or try and find ways to cheese him online, I've just spent the last couple nights just fighting him over and over, which is what I really love about uh, the previous Souls games uh, I played. And she probably killed me about 40 times. I don't care. It's just very, uh, it's just calming to just go in there and move, learn the move sets and get a little bit closer. A little closer. I, I think I'm going to get them sooner. It might take me a couple nights, but um, uh, this is, I can definitively say, my uh, From Software favorite game at this point. Uh, the combat in Sekiro is still, uh, the combat in bosses will go down as, as my favorite, um, but what this provides in other areas um, has just elevated it to a uh, just incredible experience. Well said. Um, and I tend to agree with you both on different topics there. Um, Jack, I haven't fully been willing to abandon Sekiro as my favorite uh, from software game, but I'm also half as many hours into this one. So I'm, I'm sensing the shift. Because the thing I do enjoy so much about this is that they cleaned up and refined so many of the components of previous Souls games that frustrated me. I, and granted, frustration is a part of the experience playing any Soulsborne game, but um, certain components, like having the ability to to face a boss like you're talking about, where like you can actually rush in there and, and challenge it and learn its moveset through repetition, like the way it's intended to, rather than in some of the past Souls games I played where you would have to trudge through a whole level. And, and yeah, you could find shortcuts and whatnot, but sometimes that becomes incredibly frustrating when all you're focused on at that point is trying to get to the boss and take them on. So uh, I like that they cleared up that. I like that, you know, they made it. So if you want to fast travel, you can right off the, out the gate. Um, you know, I love the online slash ability to call in a computer aided, you know, assistant to help you through areas, even if it's just to be a bullet sponge, more or less for the enemies. Um, I, I just think that's always a neat experience to have as well. So fantastic game. I'm enjoying a lot of it. And then Dave, 
you brought up the fact that it's very difficult to play this game uh, when you're tired or just not 100% with it. And I agree completely. That tends to be why I don't rank from software games as high on my list because of that fact. Like, I need to be in the right headspace to be able to enjoy it. It's certainly, they don't make games that you can just flip on after work if you've had a long day and just dive right in to kind of disassociate from all the bullshit you've had to absorb. They're more games that you really have to like bring your a game for which has its own merit don't get me wrong i I really appreciate that but at the same time um it does limit things when you're working a lot and it's tough to find that window of time where you can truly focus so um i'm i'm actually like impressed that jack is still in love with the game in the sense that you know i think on the second night i told him i think he got hoodwinked like he's in love with an RPG game, you know, and Jack was like, yeah, you know, that's the same thought I had about it too. But he explained why he enjoys it so much. And it's pretty much the same reasons why he enjoys Breath of the Wild, you know, um, a really engaging open world as opposed to a series of check marks that you have to go down. You know, you got to do a lot of discovery, but it's fun having Jack as the person that is a much higher level than me. You know, and it has like a bit more experience in the world where he's kind of like, all right, man, I got you on this one. Like, get on my shoulders. So it's been a fun experience in that sense. And the approach that we have is so different. His is more uh, melee exploratory. Mine is glass cannon magic with healthy doses of massive leveling so that the next, you know, part of the game coming up is a little bit easier to get through. So. Right on. Well, coming from one of the better games we've played to getting into our best of the generation. Jack, why don't you start us off? Because there's so many different ways we can go with this, and that's part of the fun. But really just kind of thinking back of this past generation of gaming consoles, it can encompass so many different areas. So I'd love to see where you start off. Well, as you said, I have been looking forward to this for some time. I love crafting my lists um my my wife is you have a top five for everything and you know what maybe i do um or everything's in your top five well if you have like a hundred top fives yeah there's a lot of stuff that can you can fit in there but as you know uh video games is um is in my top five of of pastimes and so coming up with this list is is the best and i've been i've been crafting this like a weird nerd for past several years waiting for this moment to come before I even knew that you were going to come out with this podcast. It was, it was already prepared. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just want to talk about our favorite experiences of the last seven, eight years. Uh, it's the PS4, it's VR, it's, uh, the switch, these, uh, I mean, even some PC here and there. Um, these are all the systems we've been doing. I don't know if, if we'll have games from those, you know, we are definitely more PlayStation people. Um, that's the kind of, um, console we've chosen for the, for this last generation. But, um, but yeah, uh, without further ado, I guess I'll just start talking about some of my favorite games. And, um, one of the, one of the things that I really thought this last generation kind of excelled at was, um, the survival survival game genre and two of my or three of my favorite games from the last um uh several years was um don't starve 
Subnautica and The Forest. And they're all survival games, but they're all very different. And um, for the sake of brevity, I'll pick one that we've probably talked about the least on this podcast, and that is uh, Don't Starve, which is this isometric um, game. And it's super quirky. It's it's done by Clay Entertainment. They just got this really fun art style. And similar to a lot of uh, survival games, you really have to rely on like information online uh, to survive. And that kind of, in some games, in some games that pulls me out of it, but usually in survival games, it like adds an extra layer of like getting involved, which uh, can be really fun. Like just learning and mastering all these different like techniques. And um, because in a game like Don't Starve or The Forest, like you have to know everything to survive. And um, if any of our audience is, is into survival games, um, but a little bit more quirky, uh, independent, and definitely not like the 3D uh, first person that so many, um, that, that the majority, I feel like, of survival games, these, these games go. Uh, they should really give this one a shot. It's, um, it's got a lot of heart. And, um, and now that it's, it's got a definitive edition where it's got all the DLC packed in, and it was just a really, um, yeah, I, I played it twice. I played it when I first got the PS4. And then a couple of years later, they put out uh, the definitive edition with some DLC. And I, I played it for another few months then. So um, great game. Yeah, I would totally agree that survival genre has actually become something really interesting this past generation where it used to always be like a small element, like they might have like some diminishing like health meter or some component to simulate hunger, but now there's actual like a lot more depth to it. And uh, it'll be really fascinating to see how they further expand upon it uh, now with the hardware upgrades of the new generation. Uh, Dave, what do you got for us? Best of the generation. Um, I, for me, the list was such a, conflict between single player and multiplayer experience you know and that's kind of the backbone of gaming is can you enjoy something by yourself or is an experience better with other people and most of my list is dominated by experiences with other people um i went with it takes two um i felt like it really took a, a essential core aspect to gaming and then use the PlayStation 4's ability to um, generate amazing scenery, um, really quick gameplay, you know, like it, it, it was just able to encapsulate an experience that I think I've been going through my whole life with video games and then really put a pretty bow on it, you know, uh, impressive enough for me to say that it, it, it's won so many awards, you know, for what it did. and. Um, I just, I just feel like that and need to be thrown up there this is one of my favorites for this generation. I think one of the really cool things about it too, is that yes, like the technology from the PS4 is required for the, that game, but almost more importantly is all the mechanics and the ideas that came before were kind of all blended together to create that game. Even if in the PS3 era, or you know xbox one era i just i don't think that game would have been created in the same way with with that many different things going on it's just it's just a a collaboration of all that came before it and um yeah great pick dave 
Collaboration. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, why don't we run with that? Uh, I don't play nearly as many games online as as I've mentioned countless times in our various recordings here. Um, but there is one of this past generation that stands out. I mean, obviously, the Battle Royale experience, I think, is kind of arguably one of the genres that was most impacted by this gen- mo- most recent generation of systems, consoles, what have you. Um, it seems like not only did you have a completely new generation of gamers be totally just like in cap- you know, enraptured by it, but also just it kind of helped really put streaming to the forefront of you know the public mind and you know it's just such a great system for you know timeless classics of shooting games but to make it a setting where you can get a bunch of people all in one room and give them an excuse to shoot each other up so uh there's so many different ones to pick from i'm terrible at all of them and i haven't played very many of them but uh i do have to tip my cap to apex legends um, I know that some people may have negative things to say about that for certain, especially if you're a fan of Battle Royale uh, games. But to me, I mean, the fact that it's essentially the Titanfall 2 uh, engine, which I absolutely adore, um, only just put forth into a multiplayer experience was just awesome. I like the different characters. I thought they were quirky and funny and reminded me of old fighting game characters of your just in the sense that like they really didn't have like a huge backstory to them. They were pretty just generic, but they're goofy enough that each one was distinctive. They all had their unique abilities and, and people tended to really side with specific ones for various reasons. I like the combat. Um, you know, I, I, again, I don't play a lot of them. My internet's not the best, so I'm probably terrible. And that teammate that everyone hates to get paired up with and shooting game experiences. But um you know, I, I definitely felt like that one felt a lot crisper than my experiences with other Battle Royale experiences. Uh, it, it definitely felt like there was a bit more, you know, the points of contact were a bit tighter, you know, the hitboxes and, you know, the guns seemed easier to get a feel for. Like, I, I just thought it was a really fun experience. I really enjoyed playing with both of you gentlemen uh, for a small window of time when it first came out. And I enjoyed uh, our friend Malcolm, uh, who joined us on the podcast uh this last year uh he joined us a few times as well and that was a really cool experience and i think that was largely just because of you know how cool of a game that was so uh typically cap to that one i think that that was my favorite battle royal experience of this generation yeah uh apex legends and yeah, was a lot of fun i i kind of have a similar experience with uh battlefield one I one of the one of the genres I left behind in previous generations was was the first person shooter. Uh, I just kind of it's 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 a game style that you have to really commit to to be good at, and I just didn't wasn't willing to fork over that much of my time. But playing Battlefield One was just an amazing experience because all the homies were running around together, you know, and um, like Dave would carry me, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah. Um, I guess um, I'm just kind of going up my up my list, my favorite games, and and I know we we weren't putting numerical order, but but I'm doing it. Uh, I'm going my my number four, my number four uh, game of the last generation, and that is uh, Breath of the Wild, uh, a game that's uh, I've mentioned a lot on this podcast recently because of the affinity it has with uh, Elden Ring. Um, the the 
exploration in Breath of the Wild was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And what was also really cool about my experience is I was, um, our, our buddy Malcolm hooked us up with switches and all of a sudden we had this console that you could take on the go. And I know that's nothing new, you know, I've had other, other, um, other mobile devices before, but the, the power of this console, um, and just the brilliance of, of breath of the wild, um, paired perfectly together where like you're literally on the go as in Zelda, you're on the go and you everywhere, just, you know, everywhere you go, there was something new to explore, something new to see. One of the strengths that, um, I felt that it really excelled at is there was no need to ever look up online what to do because the systems weren't complicated. Everything was because kind of laid out before you. There's puzzles in it, but they're not anything that's going to um, break your game if you can't figure it out. They're all very intuitive. And um, it was the first time I really felt like just around every corner, there was there was something to be experienced. And I probably spent close to 100 hours in that game over the course of five weeks. And um, yeah, it's one gorgeous game. It's... Uh, I mean, you know, people have talked about this game a lot over the last several years. It's, you know, obviously revolutionary in, in so many ways, but um, that was uh, a, a, a just a great, a great experience. Um, I started the game and then at some point I got to a spot where I kept getting cold and I haven't played it since then. <laughs> I, I really should go back, but I think I'm just so tied up in PlayStation that it's hard for me to make that jump. It's hard for me to make that switch. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, I, I would like to bring up, I think, uh, something you would, it's my fourth favorite game of the generation. And though the eSport part of it lives on PC, uh, Rocket League, I think, was one of those games where a lot of esports was FPS or um, I don't think I could even say, I mean, yeah, MOBA was a big thing, but for an esport where you got cars and they hit a giant ball into a net, but it, it wasn't really utilized until weeks after the game's release where they people started understanding the physics behind it and how complicated and deep it was. And, and then that just kind of set up an arms race of impressive air maneuvers and techniques, ways of air juggling the ball and then manipulating your opponent to making a move and then being able to switch that up as you're falling. It, it's just impressive. And I don't think you would get that on PlayStation 3. You know, um, yeah, I don't think the graphics would be able to handle it. I don't think the physics engine would be as strong as it is. So it's definitely one of my favorites. And, and for a lot of reasons, because the, like I said, multiplayer experience playing with uh, Racks of Jacks and X going to give it to you, um, playing the game with Chody on the PC, you know, so, and the differences between the two, uh, you know, Dennis, being a really good player and getting deep into a tournament on his PC, and though it's cross-gen, you always kind of got a good idea about when you're playing against a PC player because they're just 
slightly bit more advanced on the skill level than you are and or or just get into the ball quicker do the graphics differences so but for i yeah it's, it's just a great game yeah it's again that that really does define the generation of the rise of you know esport type you know friendly titles and that that one is definitely i think one of the top top five jack <laughs> easily of esport uh type games i associate at least with them um you know you I mean, gentlemen we, we, we did a whole podcast on it so <laughs> obviously it's uh it's up there no it, it's just fascinating because these are aspects of gaming that maybe we don't focus as much on but as as an overall whole that is a huge huge component particularly for the younger generation who you know, grew up with maybe PS3 and, you know, Xbox 360s and whatnot, and are used to faster, more access to the internet while gaming. And, and so on esports is the natural next phase. And we're seeing the really beginning stages of that. And Rocket League is a fantastic title uh, really usher in that era. Um, I'm going to pick a genre here that, again, it, it's one we don't play a terrible amount of anymore, but we've all had experiences with um, in the sports genre. It's fascinating seeing because uh, it, it's always an area where it makes you really realize like a video game is essentially like, you know, everything is ongoing at once. Like when you do a replay in the sports game and you can pan around the whole room and see all the characters animated at once. And you just kind of realize it's it's all these things happening at once constantly uh, bang on the programming and, and all sports games as a result have become more or less just like really simulation heavy to kind of recreate just like the true fan experience. And, but with that being said, you still got to make them fun. You still got to find ways to really focus the action and keep it uh, engaging. So MLB, the show, um, I would give the nod. I love NBA 2K, but 2K, I think like the microtransaction stuff is just too distracting and encompasses too much of what the serious folk get into with it and distracts from like the actual heart of playing like just a real five on five basketball. MLB, the show, what I like is it takes baseball, which a lot of people would argue is a very boring sport. And it allows you to cut out all of the boring shit and allow you to focus hundred percent on just the action scenarios you're interested in. So if you want to play as a pitcher, you can make it. So you're a pitcher who only pitches like, you know, to start the games, you can make it as a pitcher who only relieves games. You can make yourself a designated hitter. And all you do is bat and it will censor out the whole game aside from the moments your character is at bat, which is an awesome experience because you can still feel like you're playing a full campaign, but you're only actually engaged with the parts you actually want to be. And that's always been the thing. Like, you, you know, you and I, especially Jack, have played Madden for years and years, a long time ago, previous generation, generation, but generations ago. And <laughs> And, you know, that was always kind of the gripe where it's like you do reach kind of a point where if you are playing like a regular season or, a you know, campaign mode, more or less, like you reach a point where you just kind of get bored because it's just tedious and it's repetition and all that. But, you know, it, it removes that part of it and lets you focus on the actual sport part, which is overcoming various challenges that kind of, you know, do how do you overcome a huge deficit and, you know, a baseball game where you're the guy up to bat in the bottom of the ninth and there's two men on you know, this game will just throw you into this experience and you have to react. And if you foul out and, and the game ends, you lost, you're the goat. You're, yeah. You're not the goat, good goat, but you're, you're the one everyone boos on their way back to the, you know, your stadium. So 
Yeah, I just thought it was a really cool experience. It, it keeps me engaged in baseball. Um, I don't play every season it comes out, but I, I played a couple of different ones in this past generation. I really enjoyed the experience. Uh, in, in your opinion, Matt, do you think, like, say, this the new generation of that uh, MLB will allow you to cheat on your opponents by viewing their hand gestures and then being able to read them, you know, and then kind of getting that same effect like you got, you know, I think it was in, I forgot what game Madden, the old Super Nintendo where you read the right play and you just blitz the quarterback or the running back lost like six yards. Tecmo Bowl, yeah, you're really, you're really hearkening back there, Dave. And you know what? The sad truth is there probably will be a way to cheat exactly like how you're describing because we're only so far away from everybody being a little avatar in those stadiums you see uh, observing games as that's clearly the direction that uh, video game playing online is going. So it's only a matter of time before somebody takes a quick bribe to signal whichever pitch is coming. If 2K had any guts, they'd start introducing like uh, human growth hormone into my career, my career or my player mode. <laughs> like, as a microtransaction. Contract year. <laughs> yeah, as a con- but like just contract year, you get met by some shady dude. <laughs> like, eh. I thought you were uh, going to say they would do an upgrade and make it so Kyrie's only eligible for half his games. But I don't know how they tackled that this year. Huh. Well, anyway, probably shouldn't probably shouldn't run down this road. <laughs> um, uh, I think it's, it's my go, right? Okay. Uh, well, my number two and number three, I've switched back and forth in my head a dozen times over the last uh, couple of years, but um, I'm settling. Uh, I'm 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 making it official. Uh, Celeste, the perfect platformer. Um, platformers, I think. Um, one, because so many of the people who grew up with platformers were hitting that development age where they could kind of create their own games. And just the accessibility and the popularity of indie games just kind of exploded. So while they started to kind of make their comeback um, with the, well, I mean, they've, they've always been around, but they started making like this indie platformer comeback in the PS3 era. The PS4, I, I think, is where it's really kind of just it's been everywhere. There's been so many and, and for good and for bad, because a lot of them have been, have been just poor, poor, poorly executed. But Celeste is, is the opposite. It's every, every single damn screen. There's a, there's a puzzle to solve. There's a perfect, perfect move. You've got to pull off. And it's, um, whereas the old school platforms, you die, you have to go way back. You know, those Nintendo, super Nintendo days, you got to go way back. If you die, Celeste and, and so many others, you die and just instantly you're back to the same maneuver or the same set of maneuvers. And it just allows you to really just lock in and just get in this zone of, of trying to complete this task. Um, a just, yeah, um, basically the perfect example of, of this type of game. We've talked about it a lot on this pod because it is that good. So um, I, I won't, I'll, I'll, I'll swing it over to anybody else who has thoughts. I, I was just going to say that that is the perfect platformer in my opinion as well. Uh, I, I've said it every single time we bring up Celeste and I'll say it again. That is the best physics engine I've seen in a game. Uh, I will just put it this way. I died 
over 2000 times playing through the actual main campaign of Celeste. And not once did I feel like I was slighted. Every single time I felt like I just missed the jump or I just slipped off or I just like, this isn't my experience with Elden Ring. I'll say that every, <laughs> about every third death, I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. But, Agreed. but with Celeste, it, it was every single time I died, it was a hundred percent that Jack, it was saying like, okay, I know exactly what I need to do and I'm going to hop in. I'm going to do it. Uh, another thing I should say is that I think my, my most proud moment as a gamer was, was this game. And that's because, when I initially tried to play it. And, and one of the cool things about this game is they encourage you to embrace your death count. It's like every death is, you know, a learning experience, but it's also kind of your um, just kind of backing up what kind of gamer you are, that you're that committed to trying to accomplish something. And, and that just because you suck, games are amazing and they're fun to conquer. It just makes it so much, you know, yeah, we talked about from software, it's the same deal. The more you die, the more, the, more amazing it is when you finally reach that peak. And um, so when I initially played this game, I got stuck um, by level 5C. It's very close to the end of the game, but I couldn't, I couldn't beat this one maneuver. And um, I went back a year later and I played, I replayed all from the beginning, played from scratch, whipped through it way faster. And I beat that. And then I beat 7C, which is, freaking one minute of perfection um where you have to be perfect and just the feeling i got was just everything you know that's great about gaming just that that feeling of success and of, of overcoming and um that's probably my my favorite gaming um achievement i've, I've got yeah well said dave what you got for us um, my third has been flip-flopping in my head through this whole thing, but I really kind of wanted to lock down on <clears throat> favorite, like as an experience as opposed to just like, like what I think about the quality of the game and the production and all that. So I had Last of Us 2 and 3 in my third slot, and it's a single-player game, but I'm switching it out for Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Um because I'll be honest, like as much as I respect Last of Us 2, there's just, you know, a lot of parts of the game that were hella depressing. <laughs> and it was just like kind of an existential torture, you know, whereas uh, Witcher 3, despite uh, its dark corners, um, for the most part, is can be a very entertaining game with a lot of comedy in it, um, a lot of fun drama. You definitely get to choose what Geralt is going to say and do. And, you know, I think the size of the world was not the largest, but the depth of it was immense in the sense that it was so dense with enemies and encounters with different characters that started or proceeded your quest lines. Um, it had really memorable locations within the world. And then I, I got to say, this is Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, the complete edition. So, you know, it expands the original map that you're playing on for Hearts of Stone. And then they take you to a whole new map that's almost as large as the original map for uh, Blood and Wine. And the whole magic of this game was that, 
you got to play as a witcher, as an established character, he's a badass. Um, you know, he kills monsters, but now he's looking for someone. And along the way, you meet all these crazy characters that have a lot of death to him. The Bloody Baron, he's just not a jerk of the land. He's got a story behind him and his faults, you know, and you can um, split the story in different ways on that, on that thread. But, and it will affect different things throughout the line. I don't want to say that's like an exclusive to this console generation, but um, the size of the map, I think, was something that they couldn't have done on a previous generation. And the, the quality of it, as far as the gameplay standards go, um, they outdid themselves on the very last expansion, which was Blood and Wine. And it officially ends Geralt's story. And just recently, they announced a new Witcher game, but it's not Witcher 4. It's a, it's a new saga. So we all know that Blood and Wine is it. That was the experience. And they even kind of hint at that where the very last scene is him at a campfire with his ally and he looks at the camera, he looks at the player and it's like, yeah, we had a lot of good experiences, kind of gives a wink and then that's the game. But it, it just my favorite in the sense that I started it, it didn't really grip me. And then when I was fully committed into it, it grew as I learned what it was presenting me with and what tools I could use to get through the game. And that's what impressed me because though I've beaten the game platinum 100% at everything, there's still different play styles I haven't touched upon that I might be intrigued to visit on later on. So that's that's my third game. It's a it's not a multiplayer. It's still single player. But like I said, I had to go with favorites, and that one was a really hard game to uh, finally say bye to. On that last scene, it was pretty emotional. That's one of those uh, games I've heard nothing but good things, but I don't know that I'll ever get around to playing it. So I'm glad that you've been able to share with us uh, your experiences. I'll never regret recommending a game more than The Witcher 3 to Dave, who after years of me telling him to get it, tortured me at work, telling me about all the wonderful, amazing things that happened in the universe of The Witcher 3. I also want to bring up that uh, before Last of Us 2 was a game that held the most awards, I think, for Game of the Year. And then Last of Us 2 ended up taking that role. But, I mean, I think it's just a testament to this generation of consoles. Yeah, I, I, I tip my cap to that one. Like I said, it's, it's certainly, I've heard nothing but fantastic things. Like I said, I just don't know that I will ever bring myself to uh, go through it myself. But... Uh, I do respect it as a, definitely one of the games that is highly heralded. Uh, I'm going to go with one that largely because I thought this game was going to be terrible. I, and I have to acknowledge it because it was a genre that I thought was dead. Um, it focused on an area of gaming that I thought when I saw the trailer for it, I was concerned actually because I thought it was more or less like it, it was just too raw it, it was so perverse almost in its display of just over-the-top violence and ridiculousness but then it came out and it, it knocked me on my ass and that's a doom i haven't played doom eternal but i've heard it's more of the same which is a fantastic thing um and, and like i said i've i've always brought up the fact that like as graphics improve and as things go along 
you know, I am always kind of concerned about the violence component in video games, even though we grew up with the cartoony violence. And even though I do play plenty of violent video games and I don't necessarily am a, pro I'm not a proponent of removing it. I just get concerned because what used to be cartoony can now be displayed as very graphic and very realistic now. So um, it's always in the back of my mind. And when doom first came out, that's all I saw. But then when doom actually was in action it blew my mind how they made it so fast paced and made that part so secondary because you're just constantly moving and the violence is almost like just a means to get you more ammo, more health, keep moving. Like I've never seen a game that just embraced the pacing like that so well to where you really like, you know, you embody that character and the fact that they made that character just this hulking badass that all the demons are actually terrified of is such a cool experience for a shooter where it's typically you versus the world. In this case, you actually feel like the odds are in your favor the entire time. So uh, like I said, I thought shooters had died a long time ago, particular doom of all series. And they came back with a vengeance and then some, and I have to acknowledge it. It was a fun experience and I do want to play eternal before I put my PS4 down for good. Yeah, that's definitely a game that I think just kind of fell to the roadside for me and I think I need to touch base with that and Wolfenstein uh, that's a game Jack's been saying he thinks I should play quite a bit and I remember you two having a great conversation about it uh, a while ago but I picked that game up pretty quick it was pretty fun and I definitely was like okay this is a game I think I should really give a good chance at because it just awards aggression you know one of my favorite parts about uh, FPS games so yeah I, I gave Doom a chance and just got my ass kicked over and over again I got on level 2 and I was like totally stuck and then Dave came over handed the controller and he, he crushed everything I had been working on for like an hour and a half in like 2 minutes <laughs> and then just passed the controller back like it was nothing <laughs> um, my next pick number 2 game of the generation um, I, I think what's really cool about this game is you could have played it on the PlayStation one for all the technical aspects. I mean, maybe it would have been slightly different, but, but everything as far as gameplay is concerned, but just as much as the technology grew in this last generation, so did the ideas and what could make up particularly console games. I think the PC has always had kind of an advantage on um, just uh, variety and gaming but this generation consoles made up a lot of ground on that and i think the perfect example is slay the spire um i'm not going to talk about it because you can listen to me talk about it on like 15 other podcasts so uh, that's all i got to say i begrudgingly have to admit jack that's secretly probably one of my top five games of all time yeah. just because it's so simple it's so straightforward and it's so engaging like it, it really is just like a fantastic experience that I low key recommend to anybody who's got a bit of a willingness to embrace nerdy video games for sure. Yeah, that's a unique game that I would never see myself enjoying, but enjoyed not as much as Jack or you, but I enjoy it thoroughly and I do definitely appreciate the mechanics behind it. Um, and it's fun to have Jack watching me or you know, me watching him because he's tutoring me either way. But when he's watching me, the best part is I can do something uh, really uh, rash 
and it'll take him about 10 seconds before he can see it. And the reaction I get in those 10 seconds is fantastic. Now, this is the one you want. And oh, oh wait, can you go back to that? Don't don't pick this one. Ah, oh, you picked that one. <laughs> Such a good time. Uh, I, I felt we touched on FPS, but my second favorite is Battlefield 1. Um, I'm, I'm sad to say I think this is a Twilight on a very old series in a very old lineage of gaming history and mechanics, FPS. Um, though it had crates, those were all like skins, you know, nothing really that changed your gameplay. If anything, it made you easier to kill because I would roll around with a gold skin on my tank. So it's not like I'm hiding anywhere. You can see me, the guy that's got you know, a 30-0 KD is rolling around in a gold tank. He's letting everyone know that I'm here and I'm here to kill you. But um, it, it's the sound in it. It's the vistas were gorgeous. I think Jack can attest to that. I think that was one of the reasons why he enjoyed that game. It's because the levels were so visually stunning at some moments of the game as you're running through a burning villa in France or on your horseback in the desert in the Sinai, or you're along the Volga riverbeds in Russia, all those things were gorgeous. And I don't think you would have gotten those graphics um, outside or underneath any of the PS4 generations of games along with the sound mechanics behind it. Um, like I said, I think it was like the last heyday for like the last hardcore developers within DICE. I think a lot of them left after Battlefield 1 and I think it's showing now. Battlefield 5 wasn't exactly a uh, welcomed experience and unfortunately the newest Battlefield's a big joke. Um, and it's Battlefield 1 was the last of its generation. I find it ironic that they took it back to the beginning of modern warfare in the truest sense that, you know, tanks were rolling out, machine guns were being developed, planes were utilized in warfare. Um, yeah. Apologies for stealing your thunder. For some reason, I didn't think that was going to make your top five. So I, I mentioned it earlier, but um, yeah, uh, just an incredible game. And really just one of those, uh, you know, last times when we were able to get like a good crew together to run to run together uh you know because as you get older um those those kind of uh teams just die out you know you don't have the same the same uh same nobody you know none, none of your none of your the people in your life have the same amount of time and everybody's on a different schedule and and yeah i'm just gonna go around and cut everyone's tendons uh you guys will heal up but hey, we'll have a good excuse to play it <laughs> that's right we, that was that was the last of x go and give it to you <laughs> uh yeah no that's that's very well said uh it, it's sad but true that is part of getting older and you know i'm glad that we at the very least have this uh podcast to get together and catch up it's it's mandatory practically for us so it keeps us at least engaged in that sense but um well if you'd summon me in elden rings you know matt <laughs> like maybe we could have that experience again. Hey, like I said, 
if you could stay up later on a Saturday, I'd hit you up. But you know, I know That's you gotta get your beauty rest in there, Dave. Yeah, whatever. Your peasant PS4 can't keep up with our PS5. So. <laughs> this is also true. Um, so actually, for number two, this one for me maybe is a bit too high on the list, but fuck it, I'm gonna run with it anyway. Um, I'm gonna give this nod actually to the climb and the climb two. Um, it's VR experience, which I think is very important to acknowledge for this generation, um, because I think that those are becoming legit uh, experiences for gaming now. And this is one of the first ones that really made me appreciate everything they have to offer. Um, you know, personally, in my normal day to day life, I'm you know rather risk adverse. Like, you know, I think climbing gyms are kind of cool, but I don't necessarily like being around people, let alone people who are active and sweaty and stinking up the joint. So. This gives me an opportunity to experience uh, some of the cooler aspects of climbing while being doing so in the comforts of my living room. Uh, it also, quite frankly, has gotten me engaged enough with just kind of that whole culture, for lack of a better term, to where there's some pretty cool documentaries out now about some like free solo climbers and what have you. And it's been pretty cool to like, you know, kind of you play the game for a few minutes and you get engaged in that way. And then you sit back and you watch a documentary about the folks who do it for real. And, um, you know, ultimately video games are supposed to allow us to kind of, you know, replicate these experiences. And with the VR experience where you do kind of get those feelings in the pit of your stomach, sometimes when you're trying to make a leap of faith or try to hold on for dear life, like it, it's pretty neat. And like I said, I would never do it in my day-to-day -day life, but it is pretty awesome to, relax i guess relax and uh you know be in that world for 10 minutes at a time i got to play that game uh via x kind of give it to you um he had it and it, it looked like a very enticing game something i think i probably would appreciate on the seeing if I can't seek it out when the, the newest generation of the PS uh, VR headset comes out. Um, but man, shoulders, dude, they actually burn after some time. Seriously, you know, despite the fact that you're not pulling anything of that sort, you're still, you're still holding your hands up via the game mechanics. So you got to move around, you got to shift down. It's very true. It's very true. Yeah. I, I, not only that, you actually can't work yourself up into a sweat pretty quickly. Uh, depending on high, how high of a difficulty you're on. So uh, you're dead right there, Dave. All right, Jack, you ready to uh, finish us off or are we doing honorable mentions this round? I'll throw a couple honorable mentions. Shoot, why not? Uh, yeah, I'll give a little bit more suspense. Um, there was a couple games that were really just, I, I enjoyed the hell out of on a PS4. But I'm not sure if I could qualify them for this generation, but it just wouldn't sum up my experiences without mentioning uh, Catherine Full Body and Minecraft. Two very, very different games, but um, Catherine, probably my favorite puzzle game of all time because I enjoyed it both on PS3 as like a companion piece with, with Dave and Dan and Matt. You were even involved in a couple of those sessions where um we're just sitting around and and just having an amazing time solving puzzles and then and then when they reissued it um they i mean i i played that game for 
even though it was the second time I played, I played it for over a month. And um, it, it absolutely provides that adrenaline rush that I love about games. Um, and then Minecraft is something I've gone back to over and over again. Um, one, as like an experience with my friends. Um, two, is like a solo experience, just building and then with my family. And, and um, it's really the only... Uh, at length experience I've I've had with video games with with Nicole my wife and to a lesser extent my kids you know I, I, I play a little bit of other stuff with my kids but um, nothing to the same extent as Minecraft and just being able to build something together with the people you love whether it's your friends or your family is is incredible yeah I, I'm glad you mentioned that one because it, it certainly does define this most recent generation of gaming for certain um and even though i've never played it i've seen nothing but videos about it and i know there have been countless careers launched from folks who have done that professionally streaming so uh right on jack uh dave you have any honorable mentions for us before we finish off these lists i would like to bring up laser league which was a really indie very simple presented wise game but I think just such an amazing concept. Uh, and one of the few really kind of high intensity games where I found I was able to have a conversation about a completely different topic with uh, Jack while we played it. And I think that's one of the reasons why we played so much of it is that we were able to conversate about our day or our thoughts, but then, you know, it come down to some intense, hairy moments where, you know, all but one of us is dead and we got to just navigate our way through it, either by taking out the rest of the team or trying to revive the team, you know, so then it would go back to a friendly chat while we played. Such a good game. And like I said, so simple, you know, two colors, a few different mechanics of changing the shapes and the colors of the board and then just playing through that. I love how much love that laser league gets on this pod because it's like nobody knows what the hell we're talking about nobody plays laser league but it is i mean i really feel like it is an underrated game um it's so much fun it's so simplistic and uh just super easy to jump into and it's it is the only uh game on my top uh, 12 that didn't at least get name dropped today uh, until this moment so um Thank you, Dave, for for uh, for I, I just didn't mention it because I knew our audience would know what the hell we're talking, <laughs> we're talking about. So I also want to throw on Civ 6. Um, it's a game that's existed through all the different iterations of consoles and PCs for the longest of time. It's probably got to be one of the oldest, most consistent running games out there right now. But I felt like from the last time I played it, which probably would have been a PlayStation 3 game, maybe. Uh, I think it was Civ 3 was the last time I played it. So Jack might have a good idea about what era of console that would have been. Uh, I found the graphics to be far more engaging. The small little animations of everything going on was just so much more advanced than what I had played with before. Um, they introduced a mechanic of global warming. So, you know, your coastal cities were always at threat of rising. Um, and, you know, some of their future tech stuff was pretty cool. Eventually I had like three or four giant mechanical robots, you know, be a Pacific Rim kind of style, running up on my enemy shores to crush them. 
in uh, defeat. And I, it's one of those games where I can lose 12 hours in it and not realize that I'm in hour 10 and I'm still playing it because I can sit on the couch. I can take my time and think about what I want to do next or, you know, kind of figure out what the next few steps are going to be before I can play it. And the music is fantastic. And I really love the interactions you have with the different historical figures. So I'm going to throw that up on my honorable mention. It's not a game that I talk about much on this podcast, but it definitely should get a little bit more light shown on it. Yeah, no, that defines the Civ experience. I haven't played Six, but in my experience, that's precisely how I describe it. You sit down and next thing you know, 10 hours of your life are gone in a blink and uh, you know you don't regret it for a second. So thanks for bringing that one up. Um, I'm going to bring up honorable mention for a title that I wouldn't necessarily put it in my top, but I also feel like it was grossly underrated by me just because there are similar ones out there that I value higher. And that's uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Um, I enjoyed this game. I just think that, you know, combat wise, I prefer Sekiro. And in terms of, uh, you know, exploration and just grander scale kind of adventure game, you know, uh, it's, horizon zero dawn i think is a better title that being said i appreciate the hell out of what ghost of tsushima is intended to be which is more or less kind of a combination of those two um you know it's not as crisp as combat as Sekiro, but it offers a similar type of engagement that maybe somebody who can't get into the from software experience of really just being punished until you get good um you know, can actually still appreciate all the finesse and all the ability that comes with having to really get timing down and get really engaged in, in full-fledged combat like that. In terms of exploration, again, I, I preferred Horizon Zero Dawn's experience, but Ghost of Tsushima is a beautiful game, um, beautiful and dark simultaneously. And um, I can definitely see, you know, for some folks that they would just take in all of that entire world and just be blown away by it. Um, I certainly had moments of that had I not seen it in other various forms of media that they were really calling back to so many times. But um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really respectful game, really well done game. Uh, there just were so many titles similar that um, I tend to not really mention it when it comes to my list. Number one. Favorite game. Past several years. Well, Mine's been spoiled by like 10 other podcasts, but uh, yeah, Dave, you mentioned it earlier, Rocket League. I, um, this, this game came out at the perfect time for me. Um, I was having to transition from being just completely invested in these games like Madden, 2K, StarCraft 2, just these dense systems that take a long time to master or even, or even to attempt to master because that's what I was doing in those games. And I have a, a, a baby and a family. I'm moving. I'm, I've taken on new responsibilities in my work. And along comes this game that is every little bit as competitive, but so much more arcadey and fun and short and easy to jump in and out of. And that's why it just kind of hit at that perfect time. It also, you know, I was, I moved North for the first time in like years. I was away from my closest friends. 
Uh, I mean, you know, I lived down the hall from Dave for years. And next thing I know, you know, going from seeing him almost every day and having all these fun gaming experiences and to not seeing him. And then all of a sudden I had this reason where we would throw on our headsets and we would have these incredibly intense, you know, gaming moments together, but also in between while we waited, because there's a lot of downtime while you wait for other matches, we'd shoot the shit and just have, have a blast. Um, I mean, this, I played, I played this game for years. Me and Dave kicked it on another, uh, a few weeks back and got it in a couple good sessions. Um, the fact is that six, seven years later, I'm still, still having a blast with it. The other thing is I, I'm not good at this game. I'm, I'm pretty shitty. And yet because of the matchmaking and how, how good the matchmaking is in it, as long as I play competitive, I never feel like I'm like out of my element because they always just, there's so much, the game's so popular that there's enough people that they can pull up, pull from, that they can always just pit me against people of, of the same skill level as me. And um, yeah, uh, Rocket League might be a game about gigantic or about cars chasing gigantic soccer balls and doing aerial flips or, um, you know, the, the you know, after, after playing games like Madden and 2K, it's just like such a simple, simple sport, but um, it's every bit as intense. And, um, and it, it just provided me that competitive spirit in gaming without having to, you know, invest hundreds of hours. Yeah, that's such an amazing game. And just the fact that uh, you feel like if you just play with sound strategy, that you can still come out on top. And we had a few matches recently where that was the winner, where we just capitalized on mistakes and that gave us the win. You know, so it's a game that where you can flip from friendly conversation to intense competitiveness all within a small time frame. Um, I hate that game with a burning passion. I'm Number terrible physics, and I hate that game. It is very rare that I could pick up a title and not be able to figure it out, and I cannot for the life of me figure out that damn title. You know, the physics are floaty, and they don't really – I mean, yes, they're not realistic by any means, but they're consistent, and if you get good at them, they're tight, there you know you you feel like you're in control so as long as you put the time in you're going to um you're going to get used to them unlike a lot of a lot of sports games which um are you know janky or you know no the gameplay itself is is finely tuned yeah no there's certainly elements i can see where it's really what it is is i i was so late to the party by the time i played that game with you guys that I've always just been trying to figure it out on the fly. And um, I just could never bring myself to really play it if I'm not playing with either of you. So uh, therefore I'm never going to get good at it. So Dave, what have you got for uh, your number one here? Monster Hunter World, baby, the king. And Iceborne. I consider them one in the same game. Because if you get Iceborne, you can still play Monster Hunter World all in the same world. You're still going to have all the same monsters plus just the Iceborne ones. But uh, this this game got me super in love with the eye, eye mechanic. It, it's always super poppy. It can be a quick game. It can be 15 minutes. You can do your you know what you want to do, kind of get your fix. 
put the game away. Um, there's still uh, 11 weapons I haven't touched in that game that I could totally replay all the monsters and have a slightly different experience. I'll know the movesets, you know, so I'll know what attacks are coming and how the monster behaves, but I'll have to approach the problem differently. Um, the, I keep the music on. I love the fact that you're in this arena that has your, your target monster, but then you'll hear another soundtrack pop on. You know, it's seething basil goose. You're not sure if he's pissed off at you or pissed off at the monster you're hunting, but either way, he's gonna just bomb everything in his path. And it's just a matter of panicking and running away. It's, I love the fact that I can just hop on and help out randos and have different experience because different groups will have different weapons and have different levels of skill. So, you know, maybe you feel like you're carrying the team or you come across a hunter that's carrying you or you got, you know, equal, kind of levels going on. I once shot up an SOS flare and all the players that hopped in were all hunting horn players. So as soon as they all jumped in, I got super excited. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we're all throwing down our buffs on our horns and stuff while we're smacking Nergigante around. Um, and the thing is this, this generation stood out from all the other ones that came before it. And there's a bunch of them throughout all the various generations of consoles and handhelds that came. Actually, this is the first major console release of Monster Hunter. All the others were on handhelds, but they upgraded the graphics to the point where it kind of looks realistic in a sense. They made the arenas that you're in, you used to have to load into different parts of them. That's all one fluid thing now. So you don't feel like you're running from one section to another section, even though it's set up that way you feel like you're running through an entire area of this world. And I just can't stop gushing about the game. And in fact, uh, Elven Rings really inspired me to tackle uh, two monsters, or at least the last monster of the game that I've had great difficulty in doing due to frustration and just maybe I was kind of burnt out on the experience, but I definitely kind of got this itch that I think once I finish Elven Ring, I'm, I'm probably gonna look, look at this problem and be like, hey, I can still solve this. You know, I can get through it. And it's just a matter of effort. It's a matter of patience. It's a matter of just kind of putting my nose to it. And then I'll finally have defeated the last boss. And the great thing is you want to fight him more times because you're farming body parts so that you could put together this like insanely cool set that's going to make you an OP god in the rest of the game. And, you know, I'm looking forward to having that and the ability to smack a bunch of other monsters around. and. I looked at some of my hunts because right before Elden Ring came out, I played the game for about three days so I could get comfortable with rolling and dodging and kind of having to manage a bunch of equipment and my weapons at the same time, which I knew Elden Ring would have. And I just was like, okay, yeah, I still love this game. Like it's my favorite hands down um, in respect to different lists and the way I structured my list. You know, I think some aspects of gaming always can be more fun with Jack and Malcolm and you and all that kind of stuff. And I'll put those, but as far as like hands down favorite, this game is a challenge, but it's also for me, something that is bright and uplifting and kind of always puts me in a good mood. And I always still hear the theme song running through my head at times when I'm walking to work or I'm in the shower 
you know, and it's just kind of, it's going to stick with me. And I can't wait for PS5's version of Monster Hunter World to come out. Uh, I think I might take a couple of days off, you know, <laughs> just put on a shit bucket and get a buzzer so I can get some hot pockets sent my way. So that is your ship bucket experience for certain and i do love how it's so drastically different from jack's number one title which is all about valuing like limited time frame to be able to game and really focused on just kind of like fast-paced quick bursts and then there's dave who's just like nope i'm gonna dedicate as much time become the op god of this universe and i'm gonna crush everything so it's definitely two different types of view it um, which is perfect because I think my experience falls right in the middle of that. Uh, my top game was actually the reason I purchased the PS4, which was my late entry into uh, this last generation of consoles. Um, and that is God of War. Um, I thought, you know, certainly we've talked ad nauseum about other titles that probably are more serious in their setting and tone uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 and Last of Us 2 come to mind. But God of War, the thing about that one is it, that was the first one where I saw the trailer for it that really just made me say, okay, I need to play that game. It, it just really captivated me that they took this character, Kratos, that was just more or less this ridiculous over-the-top action star and then put him in such a foreign type of a setting to where now all of a sudden he's a father and not only is he a father, he's a grieving father. And then you add in all that ridiculous over-the-top action elements. Oh, and you gave him an axe instead of his traditional, you know, arm chain blade. So it was just a really cool run through, really fun, crisp, just overall fantastic title to me. And um, yeah, like I said, it was what encouraged me to finally, you know, quit cheaping out and leap into the last era of consoles, which now... We'll see by the time a PS5 is finally available. I'm sure that they'll be midway through its life cycle and then I'll hop aboard again there too. So, God of War, I think it just speaks to how many amazing games that this console, uh, the PlayStation 4, has, has pushed out that a game that I really enjoyed the hell out of and respect, it's impeccably crafted. Everything that they did, they did, they just did right uh they just build on this beautiful story and um and it's not one of my 25 favorite games of the <laughs> playstation 4 era but um i i would you know i would recommend that to anybody who is interested in in any kind of you know uh fighting games of any kind of nature because it is that good it is it is probably the best example of, of specifically what it does yeah, and like I said, I think my experience with it is slightly different in the regard that I had played all the previous titles to where they had gotten very arcadey. Uh, you know, the third one was is an amazing, you know, PS3 era, you know, uh, AAA title, uh, arguably one of the best ones that came out in that era. Um, but then it, it they kind of did like a, a prequel that was certainly more focused on the action elements. And like I said, it really was kind of just focused more on so many action beats, so many like really just ignore any sort of seriousness. And so when they added this like dramatic side to it, it, it was a really unique experience and really uh, reminded you of how much this character 
has you know endured throughout this entire process because before like i said it's more just this like mad scramble of like just over the top violence and and just action and now it's like wow they have these moments where it slows down and it's like holy shit like they really added depth to something that shouldn't have any so i having watched the documentary about that game uh, they used something that almost broke the entire thing was that the camera was set so close to Kratos and um, his son. And this is what it caused was a lot of gameplay hiccups because there was such emotion conveyed over the shoulders, you know, like all the moments where Kratos wanted to engage with his son, but it, his just nature kind of kept them from doing it. It, it, it conveyed so much emotion in this like really intense action game. It knocked me out of my boots. I was super impressed by it. And I don't think I would get the same experience playing the past games, to be honest. I mean, they had their thing and they kind of did it well, but this seemed like a rebirth of a old genre and it, it was a really good rebirth. Yeah. Well said. Well, um, I didn't want to mention these in the core conversation, but as Matt, you kind of make this argument earlier in the week when we were kind of throwing around ideas for this. And that is uh, there's two games that I experienced on the PS five recently that um, really do belong to the PS four generation. And while my experience with them is a little, is a little, the text's a little bit different. Um, I think I have to mention two games that, you know, I threw a I threw around like seven or eight games that could have been uh, my one of my my like fifth favorite game of the year. It's it's tough in that like group to to tell what is your favorite depending on what you're feeling that day. Um, but both um, Elden Ring and The Last of Us Part Two could definitely be my uh, that in that fifth slot depending on how I'm feeling that day. And I I just they, I have to mention them as as truly like um i think you, you use the word penultimate because it's like the closing of this generation and the last things that are getting kind of put out and, and every time it seems like some of the best stuff is is put out there and then um just gotta say dave shocked that you did not have red dead redemption in your in your top five because uh i really thought that was gonna get thrown out there and and as much problems as i had of that game i i think we really should mention it as just how um that game could never have been created in a previous generation it the the scope scale and detail is is truly something that belongs to the ps4 era another one too actually that should have been in my list and i think i i like i said i think there was a few that i bumped up just because of recency bias but um grand theft auto 5 I mean, people are still playing it. It's our, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar game franchise and it was fucking fun. Like it was really fun. Um, and, you know, it had a fun campaign, it had fun characters. It was ridiculous over the top. So many good things to it. Yeah, there's a lot to hate about, you know, the online universe component of it. But I mean, you forget that title because it's transcended so many generations of consoles now. But well, it's, it's the penultimate PS3 experience is what it is. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the, the thing. But I, I thought that campaign was fantastic. Probably my, my second favorite GTA behind San Andreas. But um, 
we gave the online a, a, a good shake and we probably paid somewhere between 15 to 20 hours all told and, and had a good time, but it never really uh, left that lasting impression. But yeah, Matt, I, I think it's important to bring that game up just because it is as far as like ongoing online experiences um, of that nature, it's, it, it's the perfect example of, of what was accomplished in these last seven or eight years. Yeah, no, much like how you brought up Minecraft, like those two, like we'd be totally remiss not to mention them in discussing the best of the generation. Uh, that was a tough call for me, but I think I have to say that It Takes Two was more of a favorite experience. Um, it was kind of hard to leave off the top five. And as far six. as like moment to moment, like bang for your, uh, or I, I'm sorry, like uh, best pound for pound, it takes two would definitely be in my top five, but I just, I have a tough time putting it above these games that I've put, you know, a hundred plus hours into as opposed to it takes two, which why I loved every single moment of it. It was like a, a 12 hour experience. Um, maybe I, the way I kind of judge games is, is flawed in that, but uh, that, that's just kind of how I kind of well, wait. It's, you know, this is all subjective, you know, uh, but I gotta gotta give a lot of respect to Red Dead Redemption 2, but there is no train or bank robberies in the multiplayer aspect to it. That is just kept it out of the top five, man. Because if I'd have been able to rob banks and trains with my homeboys, you know, like and have people try to take that from me, that would have made that game so much more fun. And the thing is, uh, when you brought up GTA. <laughs> I give the thumbs down and the big reason why I think Red Dead Redemption 2 got just so shafted on as far as content was because GTA 5 just brought in so much more money for every expansion. And if you're a company, you're going to invest in the product that's going to keep giving you big returns. And uh, frankly, Red Dead Redemption 2's online just didn't have the same kind of player uh, growth or size. So they just didn't invest too much into it. And I think it kind of, it, 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 it left a bitter part in my overall thoughts of that game was that the potential of it could have been so much more bigger and it's not because agreed. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we will get into it in our next follow-up uh, recording, but there is also the fact that some of these titles uh, they just, they almost cancel each other out because they're so good. Um, like for me personally, Last of Us Part Two and Red Dead to Redemption 2, I like for various different reasons. Uh, but because of their similarities, they almost cancel each other out because, um, you know, I, I can't say one's better than the other, just even though, you know, I really, really can't say enough good things about both titles. So, and, and I'm sure we could delve into this further and find countless other ones we unfortunately cast to the wayside but like you said jack i, I think and very well said um you know this could change hour by hour day to day our lists and more than likely will that's why i dropped 12 games <laughs> i propose we have a list episode where jack just gets on the air and goes my favorite games and just goes <laughs> Number 100, this. Number 99, this. Number 98, this. 
and just is able to go down his list with no interruptions and just a complete like deadpan scene on a template. I'm I'm happy that any viewer who is listening this far into the pod is probably just as nerdy as we are because I have my top 50 games ranked from the last generation and I could do it right now. I won't do it, but I could. I could do my top 50 of the of the PS4 Switch era uh ranked and uh yeah. Just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> it, it, it might be fun to go down that list and just see if we have opinions about that game or can ask you questions about it. We, we could do that in like year seven. <laughs> when we're really running really on Steam. <laughs> I was going to say, one of these days I'll get an intern and I'll actually have them compile the data so you can realize that my lists are all over the damn place and none of them make sense. <laughs> I've like listed this, oh yeah, that's in my top three. Yeah, for sure. It's like, well, how come you have like 20 titles in your top three, asshole? That your, your list always, like every time we do like a different like way to say it your your list always jump all over the place <laughs> i i want to read it reiterate and this is something i touched up on on my third pick was that i had to stop thinking about best or like quality and start thinking about like more favorite as an experience and overall like satisfaction and that's why i replaced last of us two with witcher three because i i answered my question and it was like witcher three you know, I miss the music, I miss the character, I miss the setting, uh, and, you know, Last of Us 2, despite how much I gush about it, and I believe it's probably one of the best games i ever played in the sense that the acting is fantastic, the music's fantastic, you know, it, it it's able to utilize the full potential of a gaming console that's on its, like, last, you know, chunk of games, and I had to be like, yo, this list is probably going to be different from the other list in the sense that I'm thinking about different qualities and, and integrating different aspects of my opinion. So, yeah. No, it's totally well said, especially when you factor in that there's titles like Skyrim. I know you got really into that, you know, it, it may at the time and place, it was fantastic for you, but you know, it, when you're looking back in hindsight, you miss the universe of the Witcher three more, you know, even though it's, vast very similar in some regards very different in others so uh that's kind of the fun of these lists and that's partially why mine are all over the damn place and partially where jacks are actually well thought out and organized so um but but they're organized by what i enjoy the most not by what's the best because yeah i mean you could look online and find out what the best games are yeah our opinions may change based on what our specific criteria is but but really i want to talk about my favorite games look rocket league it's a great game but objectively maybe it's not a great game you know but to me it is so uh yeah that's that's how we do it terrible game terrible (laughs) terrible game all right well with all that being said thank you so much for listening this has been couch co-op video game podcast take care bye-bye ciao